The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And if you're following the uh, Hebrews study that we're doing every day on at the Superior Word website, you know that that psalm is quoted. As a matter of fact, let me take you really quickly to the book of Hebrews. And right up there at the beginning of it, he says, um, I've got to go back a little further. He says here in verse 3, 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, this is repeating from the psalm, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he says it again down in verse 15. And he says it again down in verse 4, Three, and then he repeats part of the psalm again in verse 4, 7. He's making a point to Israel about entering God's rest. And it's something that if you don't understand what's going on, it's a very complicated set of verses. But we break it down on the, the daily instruction. For all of you to understand, I'll take you to verse 4, 3 of Hebrews. It says there, for we, this is whoever has believed in Christ, for we who have believed do enter that rest. That's why we don't worship here on Saturday. We're not Sabbatarians here. Seventh-day Adventists and legalists that spend their time worshiping on Saturday and failing to meet the law of Moses and condemning themselves through that, we don't do that. We here believe that Christ has fulfilled the law, meaning the entire law, as it says in Hebrews explicitly three times, it is annulled, it is set aside, and it is obsolete, right? Paul says it's nailed to the cross. This is really important, and we're getting this right out of the Psalms today, and here it has such theological import for our own walk with the Lord, understanding what's going on and why, if somebody tells you, I'll get to it later. Let's get right into uh, Numbers chapter 9. I will get to this later, I promise you. Numbers chapter 9, and we're in uh, verses 15 through 23, and this sermon today is called Keeping the Charge of the Lord. Verse 15, now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. 
Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was, when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was, when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. There's seemingly a lot of repetition in today's verses, but... Each thought complements the previous thought, building upon it and providing a bit more insight into what the life of Israel in the wilderness was like. When you come to repetitive passages like this, you can almost bet that they form a chiastic structure. About halfway through the sermon, I was convinced that this was so. And though I didn't want to take the time out to look for a chiasm, I also thought it would be the best time to do so. I may never take the time to do so again. And so I laid it out as I normally would, and sure enough, there is a chiasm there. Before we look at it, I will tell you that I then copied it to my regular folder where I keep them, and surprisingly, someone named Vince already found one in the same verses. Vince has to be a friend of mine, because one, it is in my folder, and two, I simply said, found by Vince. For the life of me, I cannot remember who Vince is or when he sent it to me. However, though the chiasm he found is the same verses, and though it was laid out in basically the same manner as the one that we're going to look at now, he cut his off shorter than the one that I did. So I don't feel bad about giving him the credit for the chiasm and for now presenting it as one that I also found on 17 September as well. All that does is confirm that it was meant to be found twice. I only wish that I checked the folder before spending the time to look for it. It would have made my day a lot easier. But I also may not have noticed the full scope of it. So nothing is lost and something is gained. Here's the chiasm from Numbers 9, 18 through 23. I entitle it The Charge of the Lord. And the question is, should we stay or should we go? If you go to verse 19, it says, at the command of the Lord. Go down to verse 23, it says, at the command of the Lord. And then again, in verse 19, Israel kept the charge of the Lord. Verse 23, they kept the charge of the Lord. And then C, from verse 20, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And C, verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. And then you go to D. 21, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey, and D, 22, but when it was taken up, they would journey, and the anchor verse, the X verse is, whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. And the reason why they're called chiasms is because of the X. It makes kind of an X shape, and that's why I put an X for the, the final one, is key in Greek is the letter 
X. It looks like an X. So that's why we get the word chiasm. Okay. Our text verse today comes from Isaiah 4. It's verses 4 through 6. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Israel had a tabernacle in their midst. They encamped around it and they moved at the commandment of the Lord to their next appointed stop on their journey towards Canaan. Above the tabernacle, there was a cloud visible by day and within it fire visible by night. In the future, not just a tabernacle, but all of Jerusalem would be covered with a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. And there too will be a tabernacle. The difference is that this one will not move. There will be no speculation as to when the Lord will pick up stakes and move on. What Israel in the wilderness hoped for, meaning attaining the promised rest of the Lord, Israel of the future will have realized. Each step of scripture leads us a little further along the path to glory. Along the way, the glory of the Lord is revealed, but it is also concealed. Until the coming of Christ, the reason for all of these things was completely unclear. But in Christ, every picture finds its fulfillment and every shadow finds its substance. This is what is so wonderful about studying the Old Testament in Sunday sermons. When we come to our weekly Bible study where we're in the New Testament— which you all surely come to or listen to later, I know, those things we talk about there make so much more sense. The two halves make a complete whole. For now, let's once again get into the first half. Great treasures are to be found in it. Yes, it's all to be found in his superior word. And so, let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Now, I want you to know, I said earlier that I typed this sermon on uh, 17 September, and I had no idea that I would be reading the 95th Psalm today, and it's exactly what we're talking about in our opening section today. So this happens time and again. The Lord's Word is so wonderfully perfect that it just, it fits. All right, our first thought for the day is moving as the Lord moves. It's verses 15 through 19. Verse 15, now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, These words now take us all the way back to Exodus chapter 40, right at the end of the book. We read the following words. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This thought will be restated and expanded upon in our few short verses of today. However, it is showing that the presence of the Lord is what remained with Israel, and it is what directed them throughout their journeys. The account here is not chronological, but it is expressive of what occurred from the time when the tabernacle was erected through the departure from Sinai, which happened after the second Passover, and which will continue all the way through their time in the wilderness. 
as Israel has been given the instructions on the second Passover, which we did last week, and as they will depart shortly after that, this is the logical place to put this section. This presence was first noted in Exodus chapter 13 at the time of Israel's departure from Egypt. Here's what it says there. So they took their journey from Sukkot and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Upon arrival at Sinai, the cloud rested upon the mountain. However, it would move to Moses' tent in order to summon him. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 33. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. At various other times, this visible manifestation of the Lord has been or will be mentioned again. This is especially so to call attention to the importance of the events which are occurring. And the last time that this pillar will be seen is towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It will be when the Lord commissions Joshua to assume leadership of Israel. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. That's the last time it's mentioned in Scripture. That is immediately before the death of Moses, just prior to entrance into Canaan. And so it can be seen that the presence of the Lord was truly with Israel from the exodus to the entrance from Egypt to Canaan, from that which pictures our leaving our life of bondage to sin to that which pictures our entrance into the true land of promise where God's rest is assured. Before going on, and for the sake of clarity, two different things are spoken of in these verses. The first is Ohel Moed, or the tent of meeting, and the second is the Mishkan, or tabernacle. It is very rare to find a good translation which makes a distinction between the two. And because of this, there is inevitably a false sense of what is being relayed. The tabernacle is an edifice which is inside of the tent of meeting. To correct this translation, every time the tent of meeting is noted would be futile. However, when they are spoken of in the same verse or in the same paragraph, it really is necessary to define which is being referred to. And I do that time and time again. Otherwise, one would think that they were the same thing. Remember, I gave the example a few sermons ago. The Mishkan, or the tabernacle itself, is like the Oval Office in the White House. And then the Ohelmo Ed, or the Tent of Meeting, is like the White House, which the Oval Office is inside of. If you can remember that picture, then you know what's going on. Verse 15 continues, The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. Covered the cloud, the tabernacle, of the tent, the testimony. 
Most translations make the two appear synonymous, as if the tabernacle is the tent of the testimony, elsewhere known as the tent of meeting. They are not synonymous, though. This is evident from the verse we already cited from Exodus 40, 34. I'll read it again. And covered the cloud, tent of meeting, and the glory of Jehovah filled the tabernacle. And so now in Numbers, we have no reason to assume that the cloud only covered the area of the tent of meeting where the Ten Commandments were kept. This is more evident because in Exodus chapter 40, it then went on to say that Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested upon it. The entire structure is being spoken of here when the term tent is used. The cloud covers the entire tent of meeting, which covers the tabernacle. This might seem like a frivolous thing to spend so much time on, but guess what? The Lord is the one who has time and again purposefully made a distinction between the two. And so one should ask, why the specificity? It's something I've never brought up in a previous sermon, and I'm going to bring it up now. Why does he keep showing the difference between the Mishkan and the Ohel Moed? There is a reason. The answer must be that one is referring to the deity of Jesus Christ and the other to his humanity. The tabernacle is kept from the sight of the people, right? Whereas the tent is in view of all. The visible manifestation of the cloud and fire shows the people that the Lord is in fact residing in the tabernacle, and it is thus he who leads the people when the cloud moves. The cloud is that which reveals, and it is also that which hides. The Lord's glory was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, but it was also hidden by the cloud. Likewise, the ascension of the Lord on the Mount of Olives was evident in the cloud, which also obscured him from their presence. At the rapture, the saints will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There is a revealing and there is a concealing. Precision of terminology here in the events in the wilderness set the stage for concepts which continue all the way throughout Scripture. And there is yet more detail to consider. The tent here is called the tent of the testimony rather than its more common term, which we hear week after week, the tent of meeting. Instead of now referring to it as the place where Moses went in to meet with the Lord, it is referring to it as the tent where the tablets of the Ten Commandments were rested in the Ark of the Covenant. What the people saw from the outside, and which was covered by the cloud and the fire, was to be a constant reminder to them of the glory which they saw on Sinai when they were given the Ten Commandments. At that time, because of the grandeur of what their eyes beheld, this was the next thing that the Bible records. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let God not speak with us, lest we die. By saying the tent of the testimony here, it is given in relation not to Moses, but to the people of Israel. It is a witness and a reminder to them of what they had seen and been so very fearful of. Understanding this, the cloud represents safety, as in a covering, such as from heat, protection, both for and from, God's omnipotence and man's ignorance, and so on. The presence of the cloud was the daily sign to the people that the Lord was there with them, but that Moses was the one who spoke to them. For them, it is the tent of the testimony. For Moses, it is the tent of meeting. For both, it is where the word of the Lord issues from. For us, 
It is Christ Jesus, the embodiment of the law and the word of God. Verse 15 continues, From evening until morning it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. Whereas the Lord's presence was visible as a cloud during the day, it would be as fire at night. Fire has multiple meanings in the Bible, but the fact that it is associated with the Lord, it would be emblematic of his glory, his holiness, protection, judgment, purification, and so on. In both the cloud and the fire, there is the thought of a welcoming presence and yet the need to stand in awed reverence and fear at the same time. The people were to be comforted that they were cared for by the Lord, and yet they were to remember that they were to honor the Lord as their God and not tread upon nor question his sovereignty. Verse 16, so it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. The word tamid, or always, is the reason for these words now. The cloud was there on the day the edifice was erected, and it was there throughout that night. It had the appearance of fire, but this wasn't a temporary display at all. Rather, it was there from that time on. The words by day are inserted here, which is fine. It says as much in Exodus 40, verse 38. However, the idea is that it is the same cloud at all times. The appearance changes only because of the surrounding circumstances in relation to the people's eyes. The Lord made himself manifest in such a way that the people would always know that he was there with them. The amazing thing to ponder at this point is that despite this cloud and fire being perfectly evident to the people 24 hours a day, every single day of the year, they still found reason to grumble and complain and doubt the Lord. They literally saw an outward manifestation of his presence, and they lacked faith in him nonetheless. It sounds just like Israel at the time of Christ's first advent, doesn't it? Verse 17, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the Hebrew says, oh hell, tent, not tabernacle. It is in reference to instruction for the people as a whole. In other words, the cloud rested upon the tent of the testimony, but when it was time to move, it would rise on high. When this happened, it could be seen by all people, even to the extremities of the camp. When this occurred, it would be assigned to all. Then, verse 17 continues, after that, the children of Israel would journey. The rising of the cloud indicated that it was time to move. In obedience to that, the people would break camp. The priests would prepare the most holy objects. The Levites would perform their duties. And then the signal would blast and the camps would depart, beginning with Judah. From that moment, they would continue on until the spot which the Lord would direct them to. Verse 17 continues, and in the place where the cloud settled. This should not be taken to mean that the cloud itself directed the people. Rather, when the people, according to the word of the Lord, had arrived at the spot where he had directed them to, the cloud would come down from its lofty height. It is the ark carried by the Levites of Kohath that would lead the entire procession. Above them would be the cloud on high for all ranks behind to see. And this is certain because of Numbers 10, verses 33 and 34, which say, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. The ark set out with the cloud above it. Where the ark rested, so the cloud dwelt. And this is where the tent of the testimony would be erected again. And also it was, verse 17 continues, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. The ark would be set down, the tent would be erected over it, and then the priests would uncover it. 
At the same time, the children of Israel would be arriving according to their placement around the sanctuary, and they would pitch their tents. Verse 18, at the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. Here it says, Al-P-Yehovah, according to the mouth of Yehovah. Most scholars treat the rising movement and stopping of the cloud as the command of the Lord. However, this seems unlikely. What appears to be the case is that the command of the Lord is given to Moses, signifying that they were to move out. In confirmation of this, the sign to the people is the rising of the cloud. From there, Israel would journey to where they were told to go. While going, the cloud remained above the ark, wherever the ark was carried by the Levites who had been told where to go to. From there, verse 18 continues, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. Again, it says, according to the mouth of the Lord, the Lord directed when and where to go, and the sign to them was his presence above the ark as it traveled. From there, they would stay until directed to break camp once again. This was what was expected, and it was for verse 18 going on. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. As Matthew Henry says of their movement, think of your own life. There is no time lost when we are waiting on God's time. I had a friend call me a day ago, and we talked for an hour or so, and he was considering God's timing. And he's like, I'm not sure when to move, and I'm not sure what to do. Well, we have to pray about those things. We have to pray for him. We have to pray for our own decisions in life. But if the Lord has us in a holding pattern, that's where we need to be. As Matthew Henry says again, there is no time lost while we are waiting on God's time. The people were to do as instructed and to remain where the presence of the Lord was. To depart from that would mean disobedience. These things are certain because in Numbers chapter 14, after a rebellion by the people in refusing to go into Canaan, the Lord told them that they were to remain in the wilderness until the day that they died. Some of them, however, decided to go forward and right the wrong of their refusal by entering the land. However, that meant only more disaster. Here's what it says. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are and we will go to the place which the Lord has promised for we have sinned. Then Moses said, now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Hormah, by the way, means destruction. Chased them all the way to destruction. The people lacked the Ark, and thus they lacked the presence of the Lord that moved with the Ark. The details are coming soon to a disaster sermon near you. Verse 19, even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the term yamim rabim, or days in abundance, can mean years. It is an indefinite amount of time, and it was left solely up to the word of the Lord to determine when the camp would again be broken down and moved. While not moving, it says that Israel kept the charge of the Lord. One might wonder why this is expressed. But it becomes obvious when we think of what it might have been like. Was it a horrible spot that lacked any excitement or beauty? Were the tents laid out over rocky, uncomfortable patches of land? Was there nothing but briars and thorns all around? That did not matter. 
The people were to look to the Lord and not to the dull, barren, and bitter landscape. He provided them with water. Manna came six days a week, and he was to be their hope and confidence, not a lust for the world in which they lived. Verse 19 continues, The children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. The word mishmeret, or charge, signifies that which is to be kept or watched. The people posted sentinels. The people kept the commands of the Lord, living out their lives in accord with his commands and precepts. The people obeyed the law to stay directed. The priests obeyed the daily rituals and sacrifices of the sanctuary. All of this, and surely more, is included in keeping the charge of the Lord. But mostly, according to the verse itself, it speaks of not journeying as long as the cloud continued above the tabernacle. The people stayed put and kept his charge in doing so. The spot where we are now is so beautiful and nice. There's a stream of cool water running through it. We can relax and eat dates and have a meal filled with spice. But to this place, our hopes we surely won't commit. When the call is made, on we shall go. And maybe the next spot won't be so grand. But we will be content there, certainly it is so, even if we spend a year in that barren, wasted land. Our joy isn't in a temporary oasis, nor are we despondent in a rough and ruined land. Such temporary things for our joy are not the basis. Instead, our hope and joy comes from the Lord's gracious hand. Thank you for your presence that fills our souls with delight. Thank you, O Lord, our hope, our joy, our ever-shining light. Our second thought today is at the command of the Lord. That's verses 20 through 23. Verse 20. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. The opening words, ve'yesh asher, or and sometimes, are given now to show obedience to what was stated in the previous verses. In other words, one might say, when Charlie ran the wastewater plant, which I did for 20 years, when Charlie ran the wastewater plant and whenever he changed the shift schedule, the employees would work their new shifts. He might change them every month or once a year. But whenever he changed the schedule, the employees obeyed the directive. And sometimes he changed the schedule after two weeks. According to his change, the employees would show up to work. And sometimes he changed the schedule once a year. According to that, so they would show up to work. For now in numbers, one might wonder how many different ways the idea of staying put and picking up and moving out could be expressed. Already the idea has been spoken out three times in three different ways. The last was Yamim Rabim, or many days. Now it speaks of Yamim Mispar, or days of a number, meaning a few days. Whereas verse 19 spoke of being obedient and staying put, Even if the scene was one which was boring, ugly, and deprived of comfort, the spot they next arrived at may have been a beautiful oasis in the middle of the desert where the children could go out and play and the people could smell the fragrant beauty of flowers. Where their tents were set up, the ground may have been soft and cushy. Surely in such a place, the Lord would allow them to hang around for a while and enjoy the comfortable life. But no, this didn't matter. When it was time to go, they would have to acknowledge the Lord's call and depart to wherever he next led, not knowing if it would have dates and grass or rocks and snakes. The Lord's word was their call to depart. Verse 21, so it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. Again, it says, ve'yesh asher, or and sometimes. Now the thought is expressed again, but in another new way. The people picked up and moved, arriving in the evening. 
Their bodies were tired, their minds were racing at the anticipation of sleep and then exploring their surroundings, and the children were intent on finding their friends and playing in a new environment. But no, they set up camp in the evening, sat down to eat, went to bed unable to sleep because of the day's events and the events of the anticipated day to come, and yet... No sooner had they gone out to collect the day's manna than they were alerted to the rise of the cloud and the call to move. The beautiful date palms were filled with ripe fruit. The juniper smelled of delight. The wild ibis covered the hillside, waiting to be shot with an arrow, roasted over a fire and mixed in with curry and spice, kept from the departure from Egypt. But no, the cloud had arisen, the call was made to move. And the laborious job of breaking down the camp, the tedium of waiting for the signal to move, and the tiring trudge in the heat commenced once again. All of this was because, verse 21 continues, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey. He is the Lord. We are his people. We are to keep the watch of the Lord, including the call to move. So shall we do. He is the Lord. We are his people. Verse 21 continues, whether by day or by night, Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Many days or a few, or even after a single night. But now, now we are to pick up and move by night. The word went out, and the fiery cloud has risen. There would be no chance to go out and pick a few dates for the trip. There would be no chance to watch the sun set over those two V-shaped rocks over there one more time. No, the ark is setting out, and so too shall we. At least walking in the night would be cooler than during the day, right? That's a plus, unless it's wintertime. Even in the desert, the temperatures would get uncomfortably cold at night. And more, traveling at night would mean uncertainty about where to step, if there were snakes or scorpions and the like. For every positive about traveling by night, there would also be two negatives. But the Lord is on the move, and we are his people. We too shall move. The notion that the Lord first spoke the word of when to go and where to go and that it wasn't just following the cloud as he led is confirmed by the words of Moses to his father-in-law, Hobab. In Numbers chapter 10, we will read this. So Moses said, please do not leave inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. If it were merely a matter of following the pillar of cloud and fire, Moses would never have said this to Hobab. Moses did not shun acknowledging a sound guide could both lead the way to where they were next instructed to go, but one who would lead them on a path that was conducive to such a trek. Going left around the next mountain might take an extra two hours of walking, but it would be a flat earth and not a path of rocks. The Lord gave the word. The pillar was the sign of it, and the people responded in accord with the word given and the sign provided, even at night. Verse 22, whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. And again, the thought is expressed in another entirely new way by stating words which encompass several thoughts already expressed. First, it says, Yomaim a way of expressing a two-day period, such as when the manna was given on the sixth day for a day and another day. It said Yomaim. It would be long enough to wash the clothes and relax or have a Sabbath if they arrived on a Friday. There would be time to see what was around them, but not enough time to get up and really explore. As soon as they were ready to call the place home, they would be told it's time to go. Next, it says a month. The Lord might give them time to gather up what was usable in the land around them, 
make some bows and arrows or spears, enjoy a feast period or whatever. A month would be long enough to tell them if they didn't like the place. If so, they would be happy to leave. Or it would be long enough to tell them that they loved the place and wish they could have stayed longer. And finally, it says, or a year. The word in Hebrew is yamim, days. It generally gives the sense of a fullness of time. It may mean a year, and based on the previous two time frames, which were two days or a month, that's not unlikely. It is simply an indeterminate amount of time. The thing about it being two days, one month, or one year is that it really didn't matter. Because the Lord could move at any time, there was no time that the people could say, well, we can settle down here and relax. There was no time that the people could say, it will be great to leave here soon. They had no idea. The time period to us is one of looking back on a known. The time period to them was looking forward to an unknown. They were wholly dependent on the Lord's decision, and there was nothing that could change that. Whether they were content in a spot or not, they would stop and wait. Verse 22 continues, but when it was taken up, then they would journey. Apart from the Lord, there could be no long-term planning. But because of his presence with them, there was no excuse for only short-term planning. Now think of your lives here. Think of your own lives. The two thoughts are both beautifully summed up elsewhere in the Bible. First from the book of James. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In other words, plan for the short term, right? And when you do, include the Lord in those plans. The second thought is expressed in the Proverbs. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. In other words, plan for the long term. But don't count on it in the process. Think of your own lives when you're thinking about what's going on with these people in the wilderness. The people were to occupy, but not to assume. They were to be diligent in their daily life, but ready to depart from it on a moment's notice. Guess what? If the trumpet sounds today, we're out of here. Don't be planning on attending your daughter's wedding next week. Okay, you want to plan for it, but at the same time, you don't want to account on it. Let me say that again. The people were to occupy, but not assume. They were to trust in the Lord, be obedient to his call, and willing to accept his decision in whatever occurred in their lives. Verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. Letter for letter, the words are identical to the final clause of verse 920. The repetition is given as a sign of obedience to the word. Preceding it in verse 920, it went from many days to a few days. Here it goes from two days to a year. The idea is one of voluntary, complete, and absolute submission to the call of the Lord and to that alone. The words of this section had to have been recorded at the end of the wilderness wanderings and were probably penned by Moses just prior to his being called up to the heights of Mount Nebo to see the land of promise before he died. However, they are logically inserted here just prior to their departure to highlight the words now before the times of trouble leading to punishment come about. 
Despite those failings, the people remained under the care of the Lord, moving at his command and direction in order to eventually find their way to the place where they would enter into their allotted inheritance. Verse 23 continues, they kept the charge of the Lord. This is a general repeat of verse 19, which said the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord. They followed his commands. They spent their lives in obedience to the law. They moved when he directed. The priests tended to their sacred duties. The Levites broke down and re-erected the sanctuary, and they waited. They waited upon the Lord and upon his word to continue on the path he set before them. As it says, they kept this charge, verse 23 finishes with, at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses relayed the words to the people for their hearing. Again, as before, we can see that the movement of the cloud was a sign in confirmation of the word of the Lord. If the charge of the Lord includes obedience to the movement of the people, as it surely does, then that movement was spoken out first to Moses and then relayed to the people. When they moved, it was in ranks behind the ark, and where the ark moved, so the cloud moved with it. In this, the word of the Lord is confirmed by the Lord. It was not Moses' word to the people but the Lord's word through Moses. This is why a challenge to Moses was implicitly a challenge to the Lord himself. Such will be the case in the chapters ahead, and so terrible will be the downfall of those who challenge him. In the end, when the Lord speaks, it is the duty of man to pay heed to the Lord's word and to accept it in the context of the day in which it is received. The Lord spoke to and through Moses, and his words were found binding upon the people who heard them. The Lord continued to speak through his prophets until the time of John the Baptist, proclaiming the word of the Lord, but also proclaiming a greater word, Jesus Christ, to come. Moses himself testified to the coming of Christ. Philip confirms that in John chapter 1 when speaking to Nathanael. He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus himself says the same. In John 5, verse 46, speaking to the Jews, he said, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Think it through. If the Lord spoke through Moses, and if Moses wrote about Jesus, then the Lord was speaking through Moses' hand about himself when he would come as a man. As this is so, then Jesus' words are the word of the Lord and are binding on those who hear it. We cannot escape judgment if we reject Jesus. And that means Jesus in the context of the day in which he is proclaimed. Christ came under the law. He lived out the law and he died in fulfillment of the law. There is no other place to go to than the new covenant which supersedes the old. We study Moses in this church because we love Jesus. We are obedient in this church by being obedient to Moses. What? Yes, not the law of Moses, but to what the law of Moses says to us about Jesus. It is he who said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Yes, Moses foresaw Jesus and said, if you want to be obedient to the Lord, then you will hear the word of the Lord through this prophet to come. The old 
is not an end in and of itself. And the trek to Canaan was not the end of the story. It was merely a step on the way to the coming of true glory. What the cloud and fire only anticipated was the coming of Jesus Christ. Let us not be found deficient in our theology by assuming that tents, boxes of wood and gold, and tablets secreted away from sight to be carried on the shoulders of men is the end of our faith. No, the Lord whose blood was shed and sprinkled on the true mercy seat and whose spirit we carry in ourselves when we call on Christ It is he who is the author and the finisher and the end and goal of our faith. It is he who is only pictured in these temporary manifestations of the future glory which is found in Christ Jesus. Each step of the book of Numbers is another step leading us to that glory. Without this law, we cannot actually appreciate what it took to get us to him. Every step in the barren wilderness is a step towards the coming of the Lord in this land where snakes bit at the heels of those who complained, but on whose feet there were shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years, miracle upon miracle heaped up as a way of bringing this group of people to a unity that would last beyond all possibility. It is this foundation which united them, and it is in their remaining united that Christ was able to come, and it is in their continued unity for which Christ will come again. But in the meantime, he is building a church. Someday before he returns to his people, Israel, in the land of Israel, he will first come for that church. It is hoped that you will be ready for that day by calling on him now. When the call is made, you need to be ready to move. Everybody understand that? Jesus Christ is building a church, and he is going to call that church home someday. We're dispensationalists in this church because we do believe that God has a future plan for Israel. It's as evident as the nose on my ugly face that that's the case. They're back in the land. The miracles are being seen almost daily in the fact that they're even in existence at all. But before that happens, he's going to call us home to glory, and we need to be ready for it. All right? If you haven't told the people in your family about Jesus, if you haven't instructed them on what is coming, they need to be told. Somebody's got to do it. You know, I mean, if you can't do it, if you can't get the theology out of the way, then give them a track. We've got a whole thing full of tracks back there. We've got millions of them. Started by Paul a couple years ago, seven years ago, he put up that rack and he faithfully came and stamped them out. I'd be here on Saturday and here he'd be there stamping them. And I was just coming by to, you know, pick something up or drop something off. And here he's doing those tracks. And we're keeping that alive now. Take some, take them. That's what they're there for. And when they're empty, we'll order more. Okay. But this, is, this word has to go out because the Lord is coming and we need to be ready to move. But there also may be somebody that's listening right now that hasn't called on Jesus and they say, well, what do I do? How am I to be ready? Well, the way you do that is by calling out to Jesus. One, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Two, the law of Moses obviously cannot save me because Jesus had to come. All right, if it could save, there would be no need for Jesus. And when Jesus came, he came and he fulfilled that law that you and I find impossible. It says in Leviticus 18.5, the man who does these things shall live by them. And the record of the Old Testament is that everybody from those times died. Every single one of them. Not one of them is alive today. Somebody had to rectify that. And it was Jesus who was born without sin, who lived without sin, and then gave his life up in exchange for our sin. And how do we know that he took away our sin? Anybody? He came out of the grave proving he had no sin of his own. So if we put our sin on him by confessing that he is Lord and he went into the grave with our sin because God is outside of time, it doesn't matter if it happened before or after his coming, all the sin goes into the grave with him. 
and he came out of the grave without our sin and without any of his because he didn't have any, right? It was impossible, Peter says, for him to stay in the grave. It was impossible because he didn't have sin and the wages of sin is death. Thank you. That all makes sense when you understand what God is doing. So if you have never called on Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Please take away my sin. I receive you, Jesus. It is done. For all who call on the name of the Lord might be saved. No, all who call on the Lord will be saved. Done deal, folks. Trust in Jesus. Woohoo! Closing verse comes from Nehemiah 9. It's verse 12. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. Nehemiah, after the exile to Babylon, was back in the land and praying to the Lord, recounting the words of the Lord to him. Lord, you took care of them then. I know you're going to take care of us now. Amen. There you go. Amen. Okay, I'm going to toss you all a bone here. I want Burke to be quiet, but I'm going to toss you all a bone. I have alluded to Hebrews 12, verse 2, many times in this sermon. Can you hear, cite that for me, or even just begin citing it for me? It's my favorite verse in the Bible. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. There you go. I'm going to take you to that, and I'm going to read it. Now, it reads a little differently in the New King James Version, but it's still fine. I just prefer the NIV, which says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, because it's such a marvelous, such a marvelous way of saying it. Seven words that I try to live my life by. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's what it says, though, in Hebrews 12, verse 2. For, I'm sorry, I'm in Hebrews 2. I got to get to Hebrews 12 if I'm going to that's what I get for talking while I'm turning pages. Here we go. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's, that's my marching orders in life. It also says in Hebrews 3, verse 1, let us fix our thoughts on Jesus. If you go blind, you can still do that, okay? Your thoughts and your eyes, let them be on Jesus. Now, the reason why I picked on Burke, for those of you who don't know him, he's got the Bible pretty much memorized, so it would be a given that he'd shout it out, so there you go. Okay, next week is Numbers 10, 1 through 10. Tastier than tea and crumpets, it's entitled to Silver Trumpets. Oh, you know, I wrote it up there already. I, all right. Well, yeah, it does. It answers that right there. That's because I, we had a week off from cleaning, and I always do that when I'm cleaning. So I took next week's and put up there instead of this week. Sorry about that. You guys were all confused about today's sermon. Well, at least I don't have to write that now. Okay. I threw you a bone and you failed, but I'm still going to ask you a question to see if you can get it. Okay. Sabbath keepers, and Burke's allowed to answer this too if he knows, Sabbath keepers say the Sabbath was written by the finger of God in stone. And this is binding. They'll, that's the Seventh-day Adventists, they will use exactly that. They'll say, well, he wrote it in stone. The finger of God wrote the Sabbath in stone, and it is therefore binding. Okay, how do we respond to that? How do you? Jesus said it was finished. Jesus said it was finished. What you need to do is remember the accomplishment of Jesus' words. First off, Remember what we saw in Sergio and Rhoda's video last week, Stone Vessels? Jesus is the stone. He is the fulfillment of these types and shadows. 
And so when somebody says, well, God wrote it in stone and therefore it must be binding, it is binding. It's written in his body, which was crucified and nailed to the cross. And as it says in Hebrews 2.14, right, the law was nailed to the cross. Well, nobody walked up there and took the law of Moses and nailed it to the cross, did they? So it has to be that it's speaking of the, the symbolism of Christ, fulfilling the law, completing the law, and dying in fulfillment of the law. Thank you. That's the first one anybody's answered out of all of these. I'm going to keep doing this to you until you start answering. I want you to think ahead. What is Charlie going to ask this week? And maybe you'll beat me, okay? Our poem today is called Keeping the Charge of the Lord. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. This did transpire. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Such was this marvelous display. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle at the time of these events, after the children of Israel would journey and in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey and they would camp at the command of the Lord. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped according to his word. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, however long it would be, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, so it would be, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, this amazing sight, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, then so it would be, then at this time they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, so it would be, the children of Israel would not journey, but would remain encamped. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed, so we understand. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses' hand. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct, our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful lesson of patience, of patience that we need to learn. You're going to call. You're going to ask us to move. And when that time comes, we need to be patient. Too often people get way overexcited about the rapture. And I'm one of them. I admit that, Lord. I'd like it to happen right now. But we have to be patient and we have to occupy in the process. Help us not to get so distracted by the coming of the rapture that we fail to do our job here in the meantime. Help us to not make that mistake and help us to be patient when somebody is sick. Help us to be patient when somebody is on a journey far away and we're concerned about their well-being. Help us to not be anxious for everything, but to present our prayers to you in hopes that they will be fine. And if they're not, we know that in the end they will be anyway. Help us to just be resolved in our thoughts and to know that you are there in glory, watching over us 
And we thank you for the surety that we possess because of that and the surety that we have because of the glory of Jesus Christ who came and dwelt among us. Thank you for that, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we exalt you, and we do so in his beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.